Well, howdy. Howdy. All right. It is, uh, it's so great to be back here at Bayou City Fellowship. I really do, uh, I really do love this place. I've only been here once before, but when I left, I emailed your pastor, Curtis Jones, and just said, man, there's something special going on at your church. And so I love Curtis and Amanda and what God has been doing through them here. And it's just a privilege to get to spend the morning with you guys. I'll start by telling you this. Several years ago, some of our closest friends, Sterling and Natalie, bought a home, an older home in Dallas. And what you need to know about Natalie is that she has this condition which causes her body to really struggle to eliminate toxins from it. So they bought this older house in Dallas, and at the back of this house is this one small room that Sterling and Natalie converted into a playroom for their kids. And this one room has its own air conditioning unit. What Sterling and Natalie didn't know is that the previous owners had put in an air conditioning unit for this room that was just too big. And so this unit was what's called short cycling. And I don't know all the ins and outs of it, but it was basically overproducing. And so moisture was developing on the coils inside of the unit, and it didn't have enough time to evaporate, and so mold was growing inside of this unit without Sterling and Natalie knowing it. So just think what was happening. All throughout the day, this air conditioning unit was quietly operating in the background of their lives, and at the same time, it was poisoning Natalie's body, blowing toxic air through their house all day long. And the reason that I tell you that is because this morning, I want us to talk about our past failures. And uh, I, I don't know what comes to mind when I say past failures. Maybe it's something that happened years ago. could be something that happened in college. It could have been something that happened last night. But I would imagine that every single one of us has these moments or seasons that we could simply label, what was I thinking? Maybe it was a previous dating relationship. Maybe it was a previous marriage. Maybe it was a decision that you made at a job. Uh, I don't know what it is for you, but what I do know from personal experience is this. Past failures can be a lot like that air conditioning unit in my friend's house. Our past failures can quietly operate in the background poisoning our lives, blowing guilt, shame, and regret through our souls like air through a house. Few things can be as toxic to our lives emotionally and spiritually as guilt, shame, and regret can be. And so I just want to tell you this morning that Jesus wants to deal with the short-cycling unit of your soul. He wants to step in and deal with your past failures. He wants to purify the air of your life from any guilt, shame, or regret. And he's going to do it by showing us how he dealt with Peter's greatest failure. So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me to John 21. John 21 is where we will be this morning. And I'll just say this. It's going to take us a little bit before we actually get to John 21. So... Uh, so just hang with me. But before we get to John 21, I think that it's probably important for us to revisit Peter's greatest failure. As many of you know, Peter's greatest failure happened on the night that Jesus was uh, betrayed and arrested. And it all kind of starts in the upper room. Jesus has his last supper with his friends. And at some point during that time, he, 
He looks at his friends and he says, hey guys, I just need you to know, where I am going, you cannot come. And right after he says that, the soundtrack to the movie Braveheart begins to play, and Peter steps up and responds to Jesus with this very noble and heroic sounding response. He says this in John 13, 37. He says, Lord, why can I not follow you? I will lay down my life for you. Can you imagine being Peter and making that statement? You can't make that statement and not feel like the man, all right? The other 11 disciples are over there stuffing their faces with hummus, and here's Peter saying, Jesus, I am willing to lay down my life for you. But Peter's barely finished, and you can practically hear the record scratch. The Braveheart soundtrack is halted abruptly, and Jesus just uh, intervenes and fills Peter in on reality. He tells Peter this, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. He just says, Peter, I want you to know you are just moments away from the greatest failure of your life. And Luke chapter two actually puts us there. Let me just share with you Peter's greatest failure. It says this in Luke 22. Then they seized him, that's referring to Jesus. They seized Jesus and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, this man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. So Peter follows Jesus at a distance, and then he sits down around a charcoal fire and proceeds to do exactly what Jesus said he, ha- he would do. Three different times in three different ways, Peter declares, I do not know Jesus Christ. And this is pretty significant because Peter was one of the 12, which means Peter was handpicked by Jesus. Peter had the privilege of spending every moment of every day for three years with Jesus. That means that he had pillow talk with Jesus. He had front row seats to all of Jesus' messages and all of Jesus' miracles. Peter was one of only three people who got to behold the transfiguration of Christ. And in a moment in time, Peter does exactly what Jesus said he would do. And he denied him three different times. Let's just be clear. This is a massive failure for Peter, one of the 12, to deny the Son of God, not once, not twice, but three different times. This is a massive failure. The darkness of this failure is extremely thick. And now let me take you to the worst moment in Peter's life. It says this in Luke 22. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Can you just imagine this moment? Peter denies Jesus for a third time, the rooster crows, and then somehow supernaturally, Peter's eyes meet Jesus's eyes. And in that moment, Jesus's eyes are like smelling salts are to a boxer. And his gaze 
cut through the fog of Peter's sin. His gaze snapped Peter out of the trance of sin that he's been in for the last few hours. And in this moment, Peter sees his sin for what it truly is. Imagine the embarrassment. Imagine the shame that crashes into his life like an ocean wave. Can you resonate with this moment at all? Do you know what it's like to be in the trance of sin? Sometimes it lasts for a few minutes or a few hours. Sometimes it lasts for an entire season. Do you know what it's like to be in a time where kind of the fog rolls into your mind and all you can see is what feels right instead of what is actually right? God's ways are are irrelevant. Your gratification is ultimate. And you live in this, this period of time this trance of sin, but then something happens where Jesus kind of cuts through the fog. He steps into your trance of sin. His light cuts through, pierces through the darkness of your life. And in that moment, the fog kind of dissipates and you are left looking at your sin and you see your sin for what it truly is. And in that moment, when you see your sin for what it truly is, guilt, shame, and regret fill your life. I just need you to know, and I hope that you don't miss this, that the normal and natural response to seeing your sin for what it truly is, is that the normal natural response is guilt, shame, and regret. And it is actually the kindness of God for you to experience temporary guilt, shame, and regret. Because temporary guilt, shame, and regret over your sin can move you back towards Jesus. And when you experience temporary guilt, shame, and regret, it can remind you of your need for Jesus to be savior and forgiver and healer and restorer. That is not what I'm talking about this morning. I'm not talking about the times where guilt, shame, and regret move you back towards Jesus. What I'm talking about are the times when that which must always be temporary actually becomes permanent. I'm talking about what happens when guilt, shame, and regret move into our lives and make themselves at home. That's what I'm talking about this morning. And I just want you to know that this talk for me is very personal. It is. Um, before I dated and married my wife several years ago, I was, uh, I was in just a really unhealthy relationship. I think I could categorize a relationship as an extended season where I did what felt right instead of what I knew to be right. And because of that, it was just packed full of uh, insecurity and impurity and drama. And at the time that I was in that relationship, I was actually interning at a church working with high school students. And so I was just living in the midst of hypocrisy, telling high school students to do one thing, but living a completely different way. And finally, God intervened. And he put some strong men in my life who just stepped in and helped me get out of the relationship. And, and when that happened, it's as if Jesus cut through the fog of sin in my life. He snapped me out of the trance of sin I had been in for a long period of time. And I finally saw my sin for what it was. And when I saw my sin for what it was, I saw the, the hypocrisy. I saw how it didn't make sense that I was investing in high school students while while living a way that was contrary to what God required of me. And in that moment, I, when I saw my sin for what it was, I felt the dryness in my relationship with the Lord because you can't run towards sin and run toward Jesus at the same time. 
To move towards sin is to move away from Jesus. And so I felt that interruption in our fellowship and intimacy. And then I saw the impact that my choices were having on this girl that I had been dating. When I saw my sin for what it was, man, guilt, shame, and regret filled my soul. But instead of those things being temporary, they became permanent. They moved in and they made themselves at home in my life. And it really poisoned the air of my life. I'll never forget, I just, I was so embarrassed to go back to that church or to see people from that church that I'd been interning at because I just, I, I believe that when they saw me, they saw my failure. See, that's what past failures, that's what guilt, shame, and regret will do is it will distort your identity. It will lead you to believe that what you've done is now in some way who you are. I don't know if you've ever experienced that before where you have bought into the lie that what you've done is now who you are. It's your identity. I remember what, after, after a period of healing, um, I became a youth pastor at a church in, in Austin. And I just felt so unqualified being in that position. I felt so unusable because of my past. See, that's what guilt, shame, and regret will do. It will lead you to believe that God can't use you and that he doesn't want to use you. You're damaged. I remember when I started dating my wife, I just felt so undeserving of a good gift from God because that's what guilt, shame, and regret will do. They will lead you to believe that you are unworthy of anything good from God. And I just remember wanting time to pass by quickly between my present and my past failure because I believe that the further I got away from my past, then the more Jesus would like me. See, I didn't question if Jesus loved me. I knew that he loved me. I grew up singing the song. Jesus loves me, this I knew. I knew that. I was programmed to know that. But I questioned if he actually liked me. And so I believe that the further I got away from my past, then the more that he would like me. Can you resonate with this at all? I need you to know that past failures that lead to guilt, shame, and regret, guilt, shame, and regret can be toxic to your soul. They will poison your thoughts, your feelings, your actions, your identity, your security, your worth, your relationship with God, your relationships with others, and your ministry. It's interesting, as I talked to my friends Sterling and Natalie, you know what they told me? They said, before we figured out what was happening with the air conditioning unit, we tried a bunch of different things. Natalie said, I tried several different things to kind of remedy the, the, the issue with my health. And she said that there were times where something would have a positive impact on my health and I would have a few good days here or there. But eventually my body would just tank again. Why? Because there was still something toxic in the air. And the reason I tell you that is because we will do the same things. There were, we will try and do certain things to kind of pacify our guilt, shame, and regret. Let me just tell you three things that we will do to try and pacify our guilt, shame, and regret. The first thing we'll do is we'll make promises to God. God, I promise you, I will never do that again. God, I promise you, I will never go back to that again. God, if you'll just give me a second chance, I promise. The second thing we'll do is we'll 
compare ourselves to other people. And we love to do this. What we'll do is we'll go out and find someone who has failed worse than we have, and we'll compare our failures to their failures, and it somehow makes us feel better about ourselves. The third thing we'll do is we'll punish ourselves. We'll deprive ourselves of good gifts from God because we believe that if we punish ourselves, it's in some way paying for our own failures. You need to know you can make promises and you can compare and you can punish yourself, but there will still be something toxic in the air. You know what Sterling and Natalie had to do? They had to bring someone in to rip out the entire unit. And to, th- this morning, Jesus wants to do the same thing. He wants to step in and just rip out the unit that is blowing guilt, shame, and regret through your soul. He wants to bring healing, and he's going to do it by showing us how he dealt with Peter's failure. So we finally now arrive at John 21. And let me read you verses 1 through 8, which is just going to kind of set the scene for us. It says this. It says, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. Can you just hear that no? And how depressing. Okay, anyway, let's keep going. He said to them, cast a net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. So here's what you need to know. After Jesus rose from the dead, there was a period of 40 days in which he appeared at different times to different people. This is one of those moments where he appears to his disciples. And what I want you to know is anytime Jesus showed up to people during this 40-day period, he always had a killer entrance. Like Jesus knew how to make an entrance. For example, there was this time where his 11 friends were in a locked room, and Jesus just appears and is like, peace be with you. Like that's a great entrance. (laughs) That is an incredible entrance. So in this particular situation, He just walks along the sea. He's like, children, have you caught any fish? And they haven't. If I was in the boat, I'd be like, who's the dead man asking if we've caught any fish? He says, you haven't caught any fish? Okay, fine. Put your net on the other side of the boat. They do, and they catch 153 fish. They realize it's Jesus. Peter pulls a Forrest Gump. He's like, Lieutenant Dan, and he just goes in the water, and he just starts swimming for shore. And now watch. (laughs) That's so dumb. Okay, here we go. Watch what happens. You need to know anytime Jesus showed up during these 40 days, he always appeared for a specific purpose. 
he appears at this moment to deal with Peter's past failure. Watch how it happens. Verse 9. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it in bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now skip down to verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Now, all eyes on me right now, because I don't want you to miss what's happening, okay? Where did Peter's greatest failure take place? It took place around a charcoal fire. Where does Jesus bring Peter now? He brings him to another charcoal fire. On the night of Peter's greatest failure, he sat down around a charcoal fire with strangers and three different times in three different ways he denied knowing Jesus. On this morning in John 21, Jesus brings Peter to another charcoal fire. This time he's surrounded by friends and Jesus asks him the same question three different times. And with each response, Peter replaces one denial with an affirmation of his love for Jesus. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? He's hitting the reset button on Peter's life. And what he's doing is he is exchanging Peter's story of failure for his story of forgiveness and favor. Let me show you some other things that are going on here. Do you know where Jesus first called Peter to be his disciple three years prior to this? It was at the Sea of Galilee. Where are they now? They're at the Sea of Tiberias, which is another name for the Sea of Galilee. Do you know what Peter spent all night doing the night before Jesus called him to be his disciple? Well, Peter stayed up all night fishing and he caught nothing. And then when Jesus showed up, he told him to put his net on the other side of the boat and he did and caught so much fish that his nets began to tear. It's almost the same thing that happens right here except that this time their nets don't tear. Do you know what name Jesus used for Peter three years prior when he called Peter to be his disciple? He used the name Simon. It's the same name he uses for Peter right here in John 21. Do you want to know what two words Jesus used to call Peter to be his disciple three years prior? It's the same two words here, follow me. He uses it in verse 19. What's Jesus doing? He's hitting the reset button on Peter's life. He's telling Peter, I still love you. I still have plans for you. I still want to use you. And even more importantly than that, Peter, I still want to be with you. He's exchanging Peter's story of failure for his story of forgiveness and favor. Do you want to know why this 
moment was even possible? It was possible because sandwiched in between the two charcoal fires of Peter's life was the cross of Jesus Christ. Let me just share with you what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Paul put it much better than I ever could. He says this in Colossians chapter 2, 13 and 14. He says, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. I love this passage because what it's saying is this. Here's what Christ accomplished. This is what makes Christianity so beautiful. The gospel is that Jesus Christ, who wasn't as God, left heaven and came to earth and lived the life that we couldn't. He died the death that we deserved to die. And then he was buried in a tomb. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. And his resurrection is a demonstration that his payment for our sin for our sins on the cross was acceptable to God. And what this verse is saying is when Jesus Christ went to the cross, here's what he accomplished. He forgave all our sins. Say that word all. All. Yeah, he forgave all of our sins. That means if you ever find yourself believing that God can forgive some of your sins but is still holding some of your sins against you, you have bought into a lie. That doesn't make sense because he forgave all of your sins. But it goes on and it says that he canceled out the record. When Jesus went to the cross, he didn't go to the cross for specific sins. He went to the cross for entire records of sin. That means Jesus has canceled out the entire record. He's either canceled out the entire record or none of the record. What is it for you? He went and he canceled out your entire record of sin, and it doesn't stop there. It says he took it away. Jesus has removed the entire record of your sin as if it doesn't even exist anymore. You know what? I would imagine that there's people in here, you look at your past, and the reason you deal with guilt, shame, and regret is not because you can't embrace God's forgiveness. It's that you now can't forgive yourself. Yeah, you get the fact that God forgives you, but you just can't let it go for yourself. You need to know that that doesn't make sense if Jesus has removed the entire record and now your sin as if is if it doesn't even exist, he has dealt with it. Then when you refuse to forgive yourself, here's what you're saying. Jesus is saying, I took the record away. And you keep saying, but what about my record? I forgave all of your sins. Yeah, but what about this one sin? He has already dealt with it. He has already taken it away. What if Jesus' message to you is the same message he had For Peter, I'm not done with you. I still love you. I still want to use you. And most of all, I still want to be with you. What if Jesus is saying to you this morning, I want to exchange your story of failure for my story of forgiveness and favor. You want to know why I love Peter? I love Peter because of what happens in the next two verses. After this beautiful moment, watch what happens in verse 20. 
Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper, and had said, Lord, what is it that is going, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And so Peter has this beautiful moment with Jesus where Jesus is like, man, we're good. I've dealt with it, okay? All of your denials have been replaced with affirmations of love. And right after this beautiful moment, what does Peter do? He starts comparing. He screws up again. And Jesus has to be like, hello, McFly, is anybody home? Don't worry about him. You worry about yourself. Follow me. You go read Galatians. Galatians chapter 2, Paul says, talks about having to rebuke Peter because Peter is out of line. And at the same time, you go read the book of Acts, and what do you see? You see thousands of people coming to to know Jesus through the proclamation of the gospel, through the mouth of Peter. You look in Acts chapter 4, and you see Peter in prison, and it says that the Pharisees and scribes knew that he had been with Jesus. I love that. He doesn't need to sit at a fire and for them to ask the question, were you with Jesus? No, they look at him, they're like, it's clear. He has been with Jesus. Jesus. And then I love the way that Peter dies. That sounds kind of weird, but I really love how Peter died. And Jesus alluded to it right here in John 21, but tradition tells us that Peter was crucified upside down. And the reason that I love that is that it takes us all the way back to where we started in the upper room when the Braveheart soundtrack played. And Peter declared, I will lay down my life for you. In the end, that's exactly what Peter did. He laid down his life for Jesus Christ. And now the beauty is that Peter isn't remembered for his failure. He's remembered for his faithfulness. He's remembered for the forgiveness and favor that Christ put on him after his failure. You want a label for Peter's life? It's this, imperfect but faithful. What a beautiful label for his life. Imperfect but faithful. What if Jesus wants to exchange your story of failure for his story of forgiveness and favor this morning? What if he wants the label for your life to read imperfect but faithful? Here's the great news. Your past doesn't have to determine your present or your future. It doesn't. What you've done is not who you are if you are in Christ. You want to know why I stood up here and shared personal information about my past? I didn't have to do that. Some of y'all probably heard that. It's like, why is he telling? He, He made the choice to share that. Why did he share that? It's because I don't have a story to hide. I have a story to tell. My past failures are no longer anchors of guilt, shame, and regret that I have to tow around through life. No, my past failures are now trophies of God's grace, his goodness, and his power, and his kindness in my life. What if Jesus wants to trade your story of failure for his story of forgiveness and I'll end this morning.
by just pointing to the question that Jesus asks Peter three different times. I love the question that he asks. His question three different times is, do you love me? Here's why I appreciate that question. I appreciate it because Jesus didn't ask Peter, do you promise not to screw up again? Peter knew what was coming in two minutes. I'm sorry, Jesus knew what was coming in two minutes. He knew that he was dealing with an imperfect Peter. So his question wasn't, do you promise to never screw up again? No, his question was, do you, do you love me? Just very simply, Peter, this is a new moment. Do you love me? I believe that that's the question on the table for each one of us this morning. Do you, not, not do you promise to never screw up again? No, no, do you love me? This is a new moment. Forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead. Do you love me? The best way that you can answer that question this morning is simply by agreeing with Jesus. Jesus, I agree with you that what you accomplished on the cross was so significant that all of my sins have been forgiven. Yes, Jesus, I agree with you that your death, burial, and resurrection was enough to cancel out the entire record of my sins and to take it away. Yes, Jesus, I agree with you this morning. Jesus, I'm not gonna sit here and make uh, big promises that I'm probably going to, to fail on. Jesus, I'm not gonna keep comparing myself to other people to try and pacify the guilt, shame, and regret in my life. I'm not gonna punish myself any longer. No, Jesus, if you're asking the question, do you love me? I'm just gonna agree with you this morning. Yes, I do love you. And the way that I say yes, that I do love you is by simply saying, I agree. What you have done is enough. And so would you come this morning and trade my story of failure for your story of forgiveness and favor. Let's pray together. I just wanna invite you right now, just in the quietness of your own heart, to just do business with the Lord. If there's something that comes to mind, if there's something that is just blowing guilt, shame, and regret through your soul like air through a house, do business with the Lord right now. You might have walked in here towing an anchor of guilt, shame, and regret. You don't have to leave with it. You can leave this morning free. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for what you've done. I thank you that your cross was sufficient to cancel out the entire record of our failures, Lord. God, I just pray that you'd bring to light anything in our past that is blowing guilt, shame, and regret through our lives. And I pray that you would just completely rip it out of our lives. And God, may we leave here free. May we leave here full of joy, knowing that we don't have stories to hide. We have stories to tell. Because of your grace, your forgiveness in our lives, we need you and we love you. Amen.